reasonable response to being robbed. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't want to hurt anybody, and I, I, I'm just such a. It, I'd rather have a conversation. The time someone, uh, someone mugged my girlfriend, and I had to go back and mug him back. They stole like fifteen dollars in a pack of cigarettes from my girlfriend on the red line, and she was like walking five feet behind me, so I didn't even fucking notice, and he didn't say anything either until we got out of the subway. I had to go back down there. He was just like a crackhead. He wasn't armed or anything. When I got down there, I was like, "Get it back!" She was like, "Are you my daddy?" Yeah, he just like cracked out. He wasn't really there. You're so, I just so made him brave, back and that was it. You're so, so brave. You are so brave. so brave. That is amazing. That's like, that's so brave. Like, I'm, I'm really impressed. I'm. Thank you. It's I'm, one of my greatest stories. But in reality, I just told him to give it back, and he didn't do anything. So. If he had a knife or anything, I would have pitched out for sure. I would have left. That's when I that's when I run. I don't like flashy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's why I'm so excited that my stick is covered in um, this foil tape that she used from her dad's garage or whatever, because it's shiny. And when you pull yeah. something out of your backpack and it glints in the light, even if it's just mm. a stick, people are gonna be like, like their fear takes over. That's the thing. Is like, yeah. I always wonder about fear. Is that because sometimes I have it and sometimes I don't, and it's it's all a mindset. Like, it takes the same amount of energy to be scared as it does to be brave. So, but then you have to mm. think in the moment, like, is my bravery worth it or should I just run? <laughs> right. I'm always confused run? by the difference between confidence and stupidity, but I guess they're pretty close to the same thing, honestly. Pretty close. It's just, I mean, confidence is honestly like a lack of self-awareness in a way. Sometimes? Yeah. I mean, well, it, and it, it works. So sometimes it works for comedy and sometimes it doesn't because it's, you, okay, yeah, say what you were going to say. Because I've, I've seen people who have so much confidence, but they're del- disillusioned to the point where they think everything's fine and they're super happy with it. But then sometimes people are so confident and there isn't a disillusionment. Like, it actually works, and you're just with mm. them. So then, like, what is that secret nugget? Obviously, I think, I mean, I think it kind of comes down to the material. Some of it, if you just deliver, part of the confidence is the joke, but it's, it's different for, like, every joke, I would say. But I, I, I don't know. I think sometimes it's just kind of compartmentalizing, like, either I know this is going to do really well, or I don't give a shit if it does it. Like, we uh-huh. all have that one joke that we keep for ourselves, you know, like, like, like for me, it's that I, I, I told you that, you know, you, you know, so I used to do heroin. I, I say that people don't believe me. I don't look like I was on heroin. I look like I was on glee. So <laughs> I get to laugh and then I go, but you can do both. Just ask Corey Monty. And that <laughs> never gets a laugh. Nobody that knows. always gets an awe. But, but I can't not say it because it just sticks like a glove. Like it is, it's, it's, it just, it's, it really is. You can do both. Just ask Corey. Oh, just it just fits. I've never gotten a good response on it though. Even when I'm bombing, sometimes I'll say that first one. I'll kind of get them back, and then I'll be like, "Go back to bombing," and I bring it up because I just it's it, it's about principle, you know. Yeah, I have a joke where um, Bjork is my therapist, and it never works because no one knows who Bjork is anymore, and I still do it. I don't what? care. I'm like, I'm gonna do my Bjork. It's the one. Bjork is the one accent I can do. It's the one character voice. 
Sometimes people don't understand oh, you, and better. your uterus is made of clouds, <laughs> and the polar bear only steps in the same river once. Don't let poets you know, lie to you. I actually disagree with you, Pam. I think Bjork is one of the impressions that I hear a lot. Really? Like, I hear Jerry Seinfeld and I hear Bjork a lot. <laughs> but you do a good Bjork. You do a much better Thank Bjork. You. I think most people's Bjork is mine, where it's just like, Can you just touch me coldly? I, I'm wearing a swan, and it's so pretty, and I love Iceland and Icelandic things. I don't know if you know this, but... Why I, is she so famous? Every time she performs in different countries, she speaks in their language. So, in France, she speaks French, and in the United States, she speaks American or whatever it is. And then she speaks Icelandic, and... Um, the Dutch also, and German if she goes there, you know. I've always she's wanted European. to... European. She speaks very good European. I've always wanted to do, like, Bjork goes to Trader Joe's and, like, <laughs> as a, as a grocery so list. But the problem is I have to feel out the audience and know if they know who Bjork is because anyone under 30 seems to be, like, they all just look at me like, huh? Except for you. I don't know. I, 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 I agree with you. Like, yeah, Bjork is kind of niche in that sense. But, like, have you, I mean, RuPaul's Drag Race had a had an impression episode where uh, one, the girl that won, I think, did Bjork. Or, no, no, the girl that won did. Alaska won because Alaska is a queen. I wish I could be so confident. You Do know, I people that are confident Alaska. like that. You, you know, you, you watch Labor of Love ever? Labor of Love. No. Which... Did you have... What? You never watched Flavor of Love? I don't know what that is. Oh, Flavor of Love, not Labor of Love. No, Flavor of Love. I was thinking Labor of Love. like Blackula. Right, right, yes. I watched Flavor of Love back when it actually happened the first time in, like, what was the, what, early thousands? Uh, Yeah. What what an amazing thing to happen. Yes. Flavor of Love is my all-time favorite TV show. (laughs) It's so, when I first saw it, I was on acid. And I did not, I straight up refused to admit that that was a real thing. There was <laughs> no way that this is an act. When Flavor Flav came through that door, I was like, Dave, and everyone just goes crazy. And Flav. he's like 60. Like, he's like 60, and there's all so these 25 old. year old women. He has a women. nose ring that's it's... like, he has a nose stud that's the size of his nose. Ugh. I was tweaking. Well,. So you had a different, if you're on acid, it can sometimes leave a grand impression of what you're watching. I've never been able to watch Braveheart again because I went over to my friend's house, the guys, these guys, this frat house, and, and I had taken some acid, and they were like, hey, we're all downstairs watching Braveheart. And I was like, I don't want to watch that. They're like, come on, come down. And so I couldn't even watch it. All I could hear was like, you know, bodies being ripped apart, and I was on acid, oh, and I was just that. freaking out. So I've never been able to watch Braveheart ever again. Not that hey, I should, not that Mel Gibson means anything, but acid really ruined it for me. What is the best movie you've ever been forced to watch? You know, like you didn't want to see it, and they made you watch it, and you're like, this is, this is pretty good. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Pootie Tang. I'm going to say Pootie Pootie Tang, Tang. written and directed by uh, Louis C.K., and amazing. I did not know that. Yes, yes. And when it first came out, it was nothing. And then 
people kept talking about it. All my buddies, they were like, have you seen Pootie Tang? I'm like, it's called Pootie Tang. Fuck that. I'm a feminine. What is Pootie Tang? What does that even mean? What is even happening? What is it? Is it about pussy? What is it about? And they're like, well, it's it's a rapper who speaks. He doesn't really speak. And then there's Wanda Sykes. And I'm like, oh, Wanda Sykes? I'm fucking in. Amazing. So... Then I watched it and I was like, okay, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen or the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And then when I watched it like 12 more times, I'm like, clearly brilliant. We even, Pootie Tang's door is like velvet with these things. And we tried to do that to my buddy's door. We tried to like, we went to the store and bought like fuzz, like fluffy thing, like um, uh, upholstery fluff. And we, you know, uh, spray glued it to the door and then we covered it with velvet and we put like buttons in it to try to make like the velvet booty tang door. Not I'm as not good as booty tang. I'm gonna disclose that. But the fact that you enjoyed it so much that you would make a DIY door project out of it—that's dope as shit. That's the that's movie magic. Magic. So there's two films that are the worst films ever, but the best films ever. One is booty tang, Louis C.K. Written, directed, super great. Lots of cameos. Super awesome. The other one is. Los Enchiladas, written and directed by Mitch Hedberg from 1999. And it has, and it is so bad, and it's free on YouTube right now. Everyone needs to watch it. There are David Tell's in it, and Mark Maron's in it, and this is 99. You'll see so many cameos, and you're like, what? And it is. How is this free, right? And it's free. It's great. It's like. um, No, else is free on YouTube. Sorry, well, sorry, I didn't mean to go. No, hey, no, go. free cool Wayne. stuff on the internet. Uh, it used to be free. Leonardo DiCaprio's, uh, right after he did What's Eating Gilbert Grape, he was making lots of money, and he had all these friends. One of them is the short, red-haired guy who ends up being an entourage. Anyways, they were all best buddies, and they just, you know, liked to fuck girls, and they all had all this money, and they were in their 20s. So they made oh, yeah. this movie called Dawn's Plum, D-O-N apostrophe S P L U M. Don's Plum, and it's about them in this diner, and the lighting is terrible, and it's all terrible, and it's super long, and they can't cut it because they're all so fucking hopped up on cocaine and all think they're so amazing that this movie is like two and a half hours long. There's a rape scene in it. There's a bathroom rape scene. It's like all about Leonardo DiCaprio and all of his rich fucking 20-year-old buddies in the mid-90s making a movie because they're narcissistic fuckwads with way too much money, and it's amazingly bad. It's, it's so, yeah, you got it. Dawn's Plum, find it. It used to be on YouTube for free, but then I think Leonardo DiCaprio found it and was so embarrassed that he made it go away with, like, money and stuff. And But it's it's out there somewhere. you got to see it. It's it's awful. It's so. Los Enchiladas, right? Los Enchiladas is the Mitch Hedberg one. And uh, Dawn's Plum, Dawn's Plum is the Leonardo DiCaprio one. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 90s, um, 90s movies before, like, sort of when independent movies were coming out, but they decided to do it on their own, and just the production quality is for dog shit. It's just awful. But it's, but that's what makes it so great, is it? Anyway. Oh, you know, you know a movie has a terrible production value, I think, but is terrible anyways? Hocus Pocus. Hmm. That's where I was going to go with, with movies that we were forced to watch. Um, that turned out, well, good and bad. The, I have a good one and a bad one. The bad one, like when I was in treatment, sometimes in a treat, they'd give us like a movie on like special holidays that we didn't get to pick. And on Halloween, we had to watch fucking Hocus Pocus. And I was furious. It's terrible. It's not funny. It's not entertaining. It's stupid. There's plot holes. 
It's, it's above all, it's not funny. It's a good one that we watched. The one that I was also like, this is stupid, I don't want to watch it, was Click. Click? Oh my Click. god, I cried so Such hard. I cried. It hits you so hard because you don't think it's, it's going to be that emotional. I, but it is. I love Adam Sandler, and I think that... You know, he's hit or miss these days because of the Netflix deal he made or whatever. I, mean, I know, he's hitting. He's hitting. He's hit. I mean, Unstruck he hits. Unstruck Love and, uh, and, and uh, what's that? Uncut Gems. Everyone was saying, like, who knew Adam Sandler could act? We did uh, Punch Drunk Love? Click. Did anyone see Punch Drunk Love where he's acting his motherfucking ass off with a tiny toy he piano and he's in well, love now with motherfuckers the... Wanna say, now motherfuckers want to say that they knew uh, that they saw Punch Drunk Love, but no one watched Punch Drunk Love. I did. I, I think I own it still. I love. I've it's loved Adam Sandler. I've been on board with Adam Sandler since Red Hooded Sweatshirt. Doop doop doop. Sweatshirt. Shamalama Ding Dong. Sweatshirt. Sandler. I hated. Um, at bedtime stories was amongst the worst movies I ever saw. I don't think fart jokes are funny, especially when they're set up as like the entire joke is just like, hey, what if I farted right now? And he pitched that, and they're like, yeah. I also didn't think he was great on SNL. Upper he man. was amazing on SNL. Oh my god! I know. I he wrote Lunch Lady Land, Lunch Lady Land, Hoagies and Grinders, Hoagies and Grinders, Navy Beans, Navy Beans, Meatloaf Sandwich. Yeah, I think his stand-up is trash. Larry in my Joe. opinion, crucify me for this later on, but his stand-up is just trash. I'm sorry. Uh, and I, I'm I agree sorry. with that. So the 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 thing he came out with, the only good thing in his last special was cell phone keys. When he's like. Cell phone keys, something. Like cell phone keys, blah, 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 blah. and he keeps going, and he makes a song. But when he and oh, the, the geez, Chris Farley tribute, I didn't like it. I didn't like how all of my improv friends in Chicago were like, "This brought me to tears." I was like, "This is, I guess, it's kind of sad." I mean, I don't know. It just. Have you ever listened know. to his? Uh, They're all gonna laugh at you album from the. No. Oh my God! Okay, so that's Adam Sandler like at his best, where it's sketch, but it's auditory and it's not visual because he always laughs at his own jokes and he kind of sucks. Don't like it. And, but he has all of these Same songs. Jimmy Fallon. Don't like he that has this either. song called Mr. Bako, and it's about like being so high. It's so great. The, the pizza delivery guy showed up and handed me his shoe. I was like, "What's up? What the hell's up? I'm fucking. It go, I'm fucking wasted." The best shit I ever tasted. Anyways, it's the 90s for me is like, yeah. look it up. Look up. They're all going to laugh at you by Adam Sandler. It's so Some comedy good. ages so well, and it's so different because it's from a different time. Some comedy is just like, also, Eddie Murphy, raw and delirious. I mean, I, I'm not a, I, I didn't, I don't know. Hey, I just, motherfucker. I Did you want a motherfucker, motherfucker, the faggots? Nope. I mean, that's all he I does. Didn't, is... I didn't like the, how many times he said faggot. I don't it like really, it either. It made me so uncomfortable. That's why I can't... And I get that that's the time, but it's still not clever. And it's, it's, I feel, okay, so sometimes I listen to Richard Pryor and I'm like, yes. And sometimes Amazing. I'm like, so much N-word, so much N-word. It's hard for me to get, like, and I get that was the time and that was, edge, and saying that in public was like, and owning it was a thing, but... Yeah, but he owned that, and he's part of that. When Eddie Murphy does he something like that, that when Eddie Murphy starts throwing around faggot, 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 it's not that he's a part of that and he's illuminating it. It's that he is punching down, and that we're he's all like, oh, look at him punch down. Yeah, fucking faggot. Right, and that wasn't down. a new concept, though. The whole concept of punching up, like, I feel like it's so important in comedy now, but, like, it's still not a new concept. Like, we knew about that. Like, you didn't make fun of, like, 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 lost 
comics did not make fun of Jews because punching down Jews made fun of Jews. Oh, oh my God! Also, Pam, I was a, I, you know, I take comedy classes in college, right? Yeah. There's this one Jewish girl, and I sat next to in a comedy theory class, and she was like, "I want to make it in comedy because I feel like Jews are underrepresented." <laughs> I, I, she was so well, she dead a ass joke. That's a great joke. She should open with that. That's hilarious. No, she was so dead ass serious. Though, no, I know, but that's joke. what makes it funny, especially if she plays serious on it. That's so funny. <laughs> I, oh my god! Oh my god! White women forget that they're white, bro. I don't know what the fuck about being a woman makes you be like. I'm basic now. Nah, I, I hate it. I hate it. Whatever. I'm not gonna get. You're not going to get me to be misogynistic on air, Pam. You're no, no, it, it's, right? it's okay. Hey, here's the thing. In the 90s, I, if you want to watch some 90s movies for free on YouTube, play a fun game. I play it all the time. I watch 90s movies, and I count how many seconds it takes for them to make a misogynistic or homophobic comment. It's always under 60 nice. seconds. It's under 60 every single movie. Anything from 1988 to 1998, even everything like Jingle All the Way, choose a movie, like the Santa Claus, every movie, and in PG-13 movies, and in PG movies, somehow jokes of making fun of women and making fun of gay people is com- was completely okay in the 90s. Oh, my God. And, and yeah, punching I mean, down. Just like, well, the fact that, like, just, I don't know, just gay archetypes are so limited but what's what's interesting to me is that like yeah i feel like especially kind of like women were made fun of so much but then they kind of we we were like oh shit there's no women in comedy so we gave them you know we gave more of a platform and then we started to see more female archetypes which is great still all like white women or whatever but the, <laughs> what was the inverse of that to me was the gay community instead of like trying to create new archetypes there were some like i see modern families and really I, I was really happy to see modern families for that but I feel like it was kind of a, um, is a, it's like a retaking the same gay archetype, you know, sure. kind of like the black woman and a gay guy. Well, it's, I mean? like, it's the girl. angry black I, woman and it's the super effeminate gay guy who has that look and that's the character. That, in, in, but instead of inventing new archetypes, right. I feel like it was more leaned into, which isn't a worse way. I want to, I want to make sure, but you know, that, that archetype that are being done away with was, um, exaggerated and embraced sure. in a way that sometimes I feel like it's great, and sometimes I feel like um, it's kind of it's still, still kind of damaging, you know? Like, well, the main gay television show is still RuPaul's Drag Race. The only thing I feel like that gives a like a, a more broad, less flamboyantly gay kind of character is like, well, Anderson Cooper 360 uh, and yeah, Modern Family, hot, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I don't, like, there's nothing about being, about Liking chicks, that means that you have to, well, you want to talk about race in this, being, like, taking from black women, you know? Like, having this black female attitude. I, I just, I just, I, I you know... I the word angry... It's so hard to the word angry goes out. in front of black woman, and it's terrible. That's the trope, that's the archetype that exists. That's the trope. Angry black woman. And they tried to make Michelle like Obama that be that. That has been perpetuated yeah, of course. by the gay community, where it's somehow, like... This is so empowering to be like a sassy black woman, even though you're like a white man, you know? And it was hard for me to come out to myself because I never identified with these kinds of people, sure. you know? Like, I, I was always a muted kind of like, I don't know, the, the other, like, especially in my high school, it was like I couldn't be in a gay relationship because I was the only people that I knew were out, 
were these people that like I just I wasn't attracted to in that way. But then when I got to college, I find out that all these like these Mormon kids were gay. Ah. I just never knew about it. I would have loved to know about that. I would have learned so much more about myself. I would have been able I would have skipped so much pain. Yeah. In my late teens if I had just had some examples more Anderson Coopers. Yes. And other people too, so we could have been Anderson Coopers together. Well and it, but that that's the that the thing is that when we don't see people as people and we stick them into these archetypes or stereotypes or this is what gay people are like. They talk like this and they are like, oh my God, I love your hair and your right. shoes are so cute. And that's how you're gay is by acting like this and having your voice change and being all, but, but that's, people are people and they're all different and there's all different. And why do we, why do we care about what people do, how they smash their genitals together? Why do we like make right. our whole identities about like I don't care what who's who's doing what with who? Why is it anybody's business? Why is anyone saying to anyone else the way that you get off is gross? Like why you want to yuck my yum, bro? Like it's I just don't get it why people's and, and that people's entire like identity can be wrapped up well, in I hate these people. That's my identity. I mean, it's seen as a threat to, like, your your current way of life and your value. And that is, I mean, you don't like pedophiles because for a very valid reason, because of how you want to have sex is fucking objectively gross and damaging to our society right. and to our people, you know? So there is a space, there is a line where it's like, yeah, okay, we got to not allow that, you know? Right. And, and I guess if we did, you know what, if we did live in a, in a theocratic Christian society, uh, I, like, I know we do because all of our morals are based off of the religions and shit like that. But if we live in, a, in, in like the equivalent of like an Iranian theocratic society of Christianity, homosexuality would be a threat to us. It would be and a crime. Yeah, you'd get it. You'd want be. Us to live in that society are correct. It would be like Russia. It'd be like Russia. You'd get jailed. It'd be illegal. Yeah. You'd get punched in the face. People wouldn't like you. You couldn't get jobs. There'd be all kinds of issues. Chechnya. Uh, that, but, but, but that's the thing is that what does this come down to? I hate you because you're different because what you do with your genitals and how you smash them. Like, I don't care if you smash your genitals against a tree or like a, like a, what per person or, I mean, I guess like, right. I guess like don't have sex with animals because the animals can't give you consent, but right. like, Unless if, the tree dies. I, like what's the tree going to do? But why do we, why is our morality somehow... It's just so funny to me to like take it back to its base roots and say, well, we're doing these things because this is morality. But the morality stems from the idea of how we choose or not choose to procreate and do this thing that we're sort of built to do, but how we choose as to do it. As long as morality exists, I mean, there is no objective morality. There's always going to be discrepancy between people. We're going to have to choose which people we want we allow to live outside of our own personal moralities in which people, it's not okay because certain things are immoral. You know, I mean, I guess there are things that are physically, objectively immoral, you know, like how you were repulsed by the smell of like a dead body or something like that, you know. Killing people is immoral because of, you know, more well, or less. But that's nature. because you don't have their, you don't have consent to take their life away. Like everybody, it just depends on what we decide. Like is, is the concept of life worthwhile? Is the spark right, that makes us alive in the important? Same way that we think that like robbery is immoral because of our opinions on property. 
We think the killing is immoral because biologically we can't survive if we think it's okay to kill, well, our own people. You're right. See, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. Well, Once you start getting into it, everything's a moving fucking target. And, and, but that's – if you – now, I, I feel weird about theft because I would never steal from anybody. Uh, and people yeah, – but I'm, when people no, do that. steal, oftentimes it's of su- such necessity that I feel empathy and compassion for them. And I feel terrible that the person who stole my bag got things of so little worth. They were so worthwhile to me and so worthless to them. But I, I still feel like I don't have to steal things because no one should have to steal things. If we actually had a morality and a code of people, no one would have to steal things because everybody would have their, their needs met. Everyone would have a place to go poop and enough food to eat and something over their heads so they're not cold yeah. and shelter. And yeah. then there'd be no stealing. You want to hear some? You want to hear something controversial? Yes. Right, something controversial. Okay. Before I say this controversial thing, I uh, shout out Ash for tuning into the show again. Uh, big shout out. You know that? Remember that girl that uh, I got my guitar stolen? I went to the train station. Yes. That train, but the train left. Yes. And I was like, oh, I met this girl there. She, you know. She was yeah, too yeah, cool yeah, for you to believe. Right now, yeah. Oh she my god, that's so funny. You were like, I just couldn't believe it. She was too cool. I was like, I don't. What would she? And then yeah, yeah. she was way too nice. She was way too nice. I was like, I thought she was trying to scam me straight up. Because <laughs> I was like, why is any? Why would any stranger be nice to me? That's suspicious. <laughs> but no, you know, she tuned into like almost every Muni radio thing. So you know, she deserves a shout out. And to the two other people listening to this, uh, yeah, you guys, great too, man. Anyways, getting into the controversial thing that I was gonna say. I don't think that we will ever have an equal society because I think that human beings are innately attracted to class and tribalism and in separation and into creating inequality by getting more than other people, by being better than other people, being more moral than other people. Humans breed inequality. And to try and make a society where everyone is equal is impossible. It is never going to happen because humans eat oxygen and shit inequality. But so I don't think that it has to be straight equal. I think equal is what everybody needs. And some people, I feel like we can meet people's needs. I don't think it's about equality. Like we all have the same everything and everyone needs to be okay with it. But I feel that we can meet people's needs as a group. There shouldn't be, we shouldn't hate poor people because the reason poor people exist is that's how capitalism works. Like you can't really have people get ahead without people getting behind. So there's all uh, all the moving parts, but I think it's compassion. Like it comes down to what are people worth? and Do we give a shit? And right now getting here, right. I walked by so many people in tents and it's very intense, and nobody cares, and they're all out there. It's very intense. It's very intense. There's like 200 tents in front of the library. I yeah, walk down intense. Leavenworth. There's a, it's all – it's just a new community of tents. And, and it's – why do – and I, I'm part of it. I walk by them. Why do they have to live in a tent, and they have to shelter in a tent? And then I, – and I have an apartment, but my apartment's small. I know people that are living on – I mean, because of, because of choices that you make. Not everybody. Not everybody's in that position because of choices they made, choices that other people made. But I mean, I, I mean like, I'm an addict. I, I realize that the choices that I made have put me in the situation that I was in, you know? And I'm very privileged to be able to get out of it and have the opportunity, you know, some things that I, I, I am able to make certain choices 
but I, I, I think that, first of all, I don't think it's always the individual's fault, right? I think that there's a systemic reason behind a lot of this stuff. But I, I don't think that there's – people choose to live a way that fits how they feel about their lifestyle. I think that the choices you make reflect the lifestyle that you end up living – never mind. No, I, no, I no, no. Like and I, and I, I agree – I agree with that, but then what happens is that when – so I've been watching a lot of Hoarders lately because thank you, Netflix, and I love Hoarders. I also love Intervention, uh, and globally, I'll say this first. I love Intervention because it makes me feel like I'm not a real alcoholic, and I love Hoarders right. because it makes me feel like I'm super clean, even though my house is very messy. It's not that. So I saw a woman on the Hoarders the other day walking around barefoot, and her dogs had lived in her house for eight years, and she never let them out to go potty, meaning that she was standing on dog poop all time barefoot and she'd been living there and she wasn't dead and it made me think it's a choice she made but yes but humans and humans can get used to a lot of things like you can live in a tent on the street there's a guy who's been living outside my house for 13 years his name is fuck my life i think his real name is robert anyways he's a real honest and nice guy but i've seen i've seen him for he's making choices and he's been there for 13 years and nothing has changed except he's gotten skinnier but it's like, right. anyway. Well, you know, I honestly, I'm going to revise my statement. I think that, it, I mean, it's the choices that you make, right? But these choices are made because of subconscious reasons and systemic reasons that you don't have control. You know? Like, like, like I, I mean, it's the, it's the Republican argument. It's like, you know, I, I, this is not my opinion, you know? But the Republican argument of, like, with, with, especially in the 90s, with that, that, that important, that, um, Facilitated mass incarceration is like, why don't black people take responsibility for themselves and stop doing harm? You know, it's an individual aspect. Why doesn't the individual choose to change? The individual does get to make these choices, but these choices that they make, you know, sentiently are influenced by things that they have no control over well, systemically. Right? And it's and so difficult. Even addicts, it's like you make the choice to continue to use, you make the choice to continue to try to put yourself in this position, but why? Because the position that you were put in as a child because right. of trauma or because of your own dependency on because you can't make another choice. Uh, you know, but, 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 but then but crack, was, crack was introduced life. Crack was introduced into black communities in the oh, 80s. Yeah. And so that's the other thing podcast. is that like when you're when you are systematically kept down it's it's the same thing. Oh, now we have equal opportunity. Everybody has, but we say, oh, all the doors are open, except that you've been wearing shackles on your, you know, you've you've had a you've had something attached to your, like you have, you have cement boots, and suddenly we go, hey, we're starting we're starting the starting line. It's right here. But then you've been wearing cement boots, and the white people are like, all right, starting line starts here, and we just start running. We're right. like, woo, bitty, boo, bitty, boo, let's run. But then. Everyone else who's been shackled or so, they're like, yeah, the starting line is here, but we're wearing cement boots. It's really hard to run the race. Right. You don't understand the boots I'm wearing. And, and we're like, what? Well, fuck your boots. Come on. We're doing a race, bro. Like, let's. And, and our concept of empathy, too, in our society is if I were you, what would I do? How would I feel? Well, I'm a very privileged person. I went, yeah. to, a high, I went to a high school and I got to come home every day to both of my parents. Yeah. My mom would cook dinner, you know? Yeah, I had all these too. privileges. And so when I try to empathize with you, it's still from the only perception that I know. And if I were you, knowing that all I know about my family and, and who I am and all the opportunities that I've been given, well, then I would do something different, you know? And I, I, I just, it, 
I, I guess I, you know, honestly, I guess I've revised my stance that making certain choices, I think that there is, you, you do have the choice when you are purchasing drugs to be like, do I really want to do this or not? But that choice is also informed by the fact that I have nothing else. I feel I am trapped into this. I am living in housing projects because I physically cannot live anywhere else. I have nothing to live for. I don't have a job. My mom, my my parents are incarcerated. My community right. is destroyed by drugs. I, this choice is not. It's not a. It's not a sober choice. No, you know. So right, right. It's not a choice that is made from the same context that someone else might look at it and try to quote unquote empathize with. I don't yep. think true empathy exists. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I try. So when I and you can watch shows like Hoarder and fi- Hoarders and figure it out. There's there were some kids on hoarders where they were responding to their parents and grandparents hoarding and all these kinds of things, and what how they responded was to get out of the house by any means necessary, and they became alcoholic addicts because that was the only because they'd rather be drunk on some random person's couch than sleeping with cockroaches and mice in dog feces, and so all they, they didn't have a choice of their like when you're 15 and you can choose to live in an uninhabitable place or live on the street, maybe the street's better. And so when those are the choices right. you're faced with, what do you even, you don't see anything beyond that. And nobody's going like, Hey, are you applying yourself? And do you care? Because your clothes smell like dog pee or whatever. It's, right. I don't know how the world works. But then again, but then again, have you seen, um, have you seen those videos on the cut where seven strangers try to figure out who deserves a thousand dollars? I have not heard or seen any of this. What is this? Wow. Watch those. After you watch those, it's really hard not to be prejudiced. Basically, what happens is that, like, the people that actually need the $1,000 are kind of, like, eliminated because they're a threat to, you know, the people that want it. And who ends up winning, the first one, is these three people of color that aren't disadvantaged, really but end up using that card as if they are inherently so because of their identity. And is that true to an extent? Yes, I'm sure. What is this called? It's the cut. It's called Seven Strangers Trying to Figure Out Who Gets a Thousand Dollars. It's fucking fascinating. Every round they have to eliminate someone, and, like, the first person to get eliminated is this white guy, and the second person to get eliminated is a a Latina single mom. Oh, my God. And they say... Why don't you just get another job? You know who gets it? You know who in the top three, one of the people in the top three is a man, a black man that says he's unemployed because he's unemployed by choice because he can't get a job because he's black. Oh, wow. But, but, he, but he's not, but he's a, he's, he's a button-up shirt, upper middle class, gay black man. And uh. he's unemployed by choice. Is it true that it's harder to get a job because you're black? Does it mean that you physically cannot get a job and that's why you're entitled to the thousand dollars over this single mom of a child? A single who also, mom. Like, who also got like, passed like, like, over. Like, is this all like compound issues and stuff? No. I feel like I feel like I, I mean, when you kind of enable people to be victims, like I, I, I you kind of enable everybody, even people that aren't really victims to take that, you know? Like, especially, I'm, I'm sorry for rambling so much, but at my high school, I went to a high school in the Silicon Valley, goddammit. Yeah. We are all upper middle class people. 
All right, we are all enormously privileged. The student newspaper says Indian and Asian women, upper middle class, parents worked at Google, and the only thing that was ever written about was oppression of race and gender. <laughs> I understand that this is true for other members of your community. When you live in the Silicon Valley, you are upper middle class. You got to write your truth. You right. are being blind to the amount of privilege that you have as an upper class person. You know, at, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is always class, even race. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's classes. I agree. It's being classes well, of all, even when we think we're being racist. No, people don't like black people. And racist people don't like black people because they project low class onto them. Because we hate poor people. You know? Because America hates poor, we hate poor people. Because we hate That's poor people. Hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was, it was so funny. I couldn't really write poetry until I was poor. Uh, thanks, Arto. But when I was, I mean, even I don't write things about my youth because I was so privileged. It's like, oh, poor little white girl. Well, are you sad? Did you have a crush on a boy? Did you like, what, what did I even have to talk? There was no oppression in my life. So it was, I mean, poor, it's like, Poor little white girl. Oh, I just was so not oppressed that I had to create a disease for myself. Oh, no, no, I'm bulimic because I'm not good enough. And I'm not, I'm white, but I'm not good enough. Like all of these poor little white girl. Meow, meow, meow. So. But don't worry, but you're a girl. You're basically black. Yeah. So I got the girl card so I can rock that out with the poems, I guess. People take credit for oppression that they have never faced. I'm a fourth Asian, dude. I live my life as a white man. I'll take that. I'm a queer man. I still live my life as a straight white man. I get all the privilege of that. Do other people that are in my exact same community, a quarter Asian and, and queer, do they face oppression? Absolutely. I don't face the same oppression just because I'm a part of that group. Absolutely not. I'm still an upper middle class, essentially straight white guy presenting to the world, and that's how I'm treated. So how I mean, if, if you live in the Silicon Valley and you're an upper middle class Indian woman, you just, I just, I you just, you don't, you know, like I, I just, you, I mean, if you were to live in Alabama, absolutely, well, you know, and I but love in this society. You don't face that oppression. I don't understand. And I we can, kind of we can bring, say. we can bring light to the oppression that exists, like. Uh, the if, if they're an Indian woman and they want to research like sweatshops in India that have fallen apart and yeah. been forced to sew clothes, oh, yeah, like to sew jeans and for it's a old navy. For sure. But if we can look at it from our lens, like, hey, these old navy jeans cost twelve ninety nine. Why? Because there's a woman in India who's been chained to her sewing machine for twenty hours a day, and she's worried about her kids and what else does she? Have? I mean, you can right. coming from a place of of privilege, you can illuminate the oppression that exists, but try not to claim exactly. the oppression for yourself, right? <laughs> I feel like, I mean, you are ignoring your own privilege when you say that just because you're a member of this group, you know, like, you think, like I know tons of women, like, okay, Kristen Cavallari, bro, that's a privileged woman. That is a woman that has more privilege than her straight white husband because she doesn't have to work. She gets all this money. She gets treated amazingly because she's a beautiful white woman. You know, is that to say that all white women, that there isn't sexism? No. Women get discriminated against all the time, obviously. But does Kristen Cavalieri? No. You're a beautiful, you're an attractive white woman. There is an enormous amount of privilege to that. And to say that there isn't is, is, is just fucking debasive. And the same yeah. thing with, like, rape culture. Like, there is rape culture, yeah. But it's not like how it's like in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and to yes. try and equi- equate the two is so fucking debasive 
and it's backwards because the general public know that. The general public are like, that's fucking stupid. And, and, and it pushes the whole movement backwards. Women's rights isn't about air conditioners being sexist in office buildings. Absolutely not. You know, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I'm a liberal and I'm very progressive with these things, but I guess I'm just too cynical to buy into every fucking New Yorker article that I happen to read. Reddit. Oh, you know how to read? That. That's amazing. That's like you're four oh steps ahead of most Americans. You read, you still read, Aaron Atkins? Stop. I, I love reading. I you have critical reading. thoughts? Stop it. You're not a real American. They want us all I'm to I'm not. Just... If I don't buy into the liberal agenda just right, I agree with the liberal agenda. But you know, I, I, and I hate, I hate these, these conservative young men that are like, conservatism is the new punk rock. That's the stupidest shit I ever heard. But they do have a point in the fact that mainstream ideology is liberal ideology. And the thing about liberal ideology is unless you buy into it 100%, like if you're 85% into it, you're 15% Republican. You're 15% problematic. And I think that's alienating and anti-theological. And also because it's an all or nothing, it's one or the other. We have a dualistic where either Democrats or Republicans – we should have a multiple party system where people can believe all kinds of things. Like, open it up. You know, why Why only have two parties? Why does it have to be so oh, yeah. bifurcated? Why does it have to be one or the I other? Wonder. Why are we so dualistic and we can only have God and the devil? We can only have well, Democrats or Republicans. We can only have evil or good. There's a spectrum. That's a great question. I, I wonder why that is, though, because there is something that is so kind of hard for us to get yeah, it's it doesn't all have to be dualistic. Hey, let's let's play this other song you wanted to play. Uh, okay, wait, can I, can I pose one more question? Yeah, please, please. This is from uh, Ash. You know, um, Corona protests. What do we think of it? What do we think? Co- corona protests. Think uh, <laughs> so, I think that this whole situation is actually orchestrated by powers beyond our even belief or not nothing that we can conceptualize is actually this is a test this this what's happening right now i feel like and i'm a wackadoo so i feel like this is a test to see sort of because we we should be worried about strange biological warfare but this is a virus that was concocted to kill fat dumb people so i feel like it's perfect for the united states oh like right. it's only purpose. it's only a problem if you're super obese or have diabetes or did you know 33% of our population is obese it's type 2 diabetes yeah. didn't exist in children until like 1989 it didn't exist yeah, there were like so few cases and now kids 9 year olds are getting diabetes because our diets are terrible and so is well, that's because we kind of support it now too i mean well of course our entire economy is supported by unhealthy things like that's everything right. is if you're just regular American, you're how many times a week do you eat fast food? Gross, terrible. It should be like a once a month treat, not an everyday food source. And then, oh, look, I, it's cheap. It's cheap. But that's the thing. It's is, the only option. It's the only option. And so if you are looking, if something outside of us is looking at the world and they want to get rid of some really horrible people, like it's the perfect disease. And I, I, it's, and I'm a, I don't want, I don't want anyone to die ever. I feel like 
and I understand. I don't understand. I try not to think. I about want old people to die. I think. I think people that uh, when they've stayed long enough, they can bounce. Well, you, know, but you only get to ride the Ferris wheel for two rotations. That's what you get. That's what everybody gets. Get off. Well, Soylent Green is people, but uh, when yeah. <laughs> when is when is your I don't know. I, I also don't think old people should drive. I, I don't drive anymore, but and I can't no. see anything. And I'm like, I... Well, we're I, so obsessed with rights. We're so obsessed with entitlement, with everyone's entitlement to be whatever they want. And I think that's, you know, good to a certain extent. But, I mean, this even goes for, like, the Big is Beautiful campaign. Yes, Big is Beautiful. Uh, and I don't think that anybody, if you're not, if you're healthy enough, that's fine, you know? You shouldn't try to get skinny... Just because you want to be pretty, right? There's health issues. I mean, we, what? I, mean, we, I don't think that we should ever be condoning something that's unhealthy. If, and if you're, if you're chubby, who cares? That's an aesthetic, you know? Like, that, that's not, it's not about health. I mean, it's not about, it's not about aesthetic. It's about health, you know? If you're morbidly obese and it's hurting your own ability to live your, I mean, not to live your life. Because if you, you know, if you want to be obese, fucking do your own thing. But don't tell people that it's a healthy way to live. If it's not, it's not. being chubby, yeah, it's fine, dude. What the fuck? It's just because, like, you know, I'm, you know, because like, being uh, well, this is about it's an entitlement to be whatever you want, and whatever it's an, you want to be. It's an entitlement to excess. The thing is that the concept that we have obese people, we have so much food and so much that we have diseases that are caused by overconsumption. Look at hoarders, dear lord. They're, they have so much stuff that it's debilitating and changes their lives and becomes a disease because of excess. There are people with nothing. There are people in Mexico right now building houses out of old garage doors and right. plastic stuff. And we have diseases that ex- that are purely overconsumptive. That's insane to me. <laughs> right, right, right. And the thing is, though, but like, I guess what, what, what I'm trying to say is that there's a difference between you are allowed to do this and you are you should be allowed to do this between you should do it, you know? You know? Because, yeah. like, if you, it's, it's, what if you said hoarding was beautiful? I, I mean, if you well, think it is, it's then, beautiful yes, for the economy. You're entitled to that, but, you, you know, it is also unhealthy. And to tell people that it is not unhealthy is genuine. But it makes you a good American because you consume, consume, consume. You buy, oh, yeah. buy, buy, consume, buy, consume, buy, consume. buy, buy, buy. Marvel movies, Marvel movies, Marvel movie, Marvel movie. Oh my God! I, you know what? You know what? The biggest people talk about not about hating capitalism all they want, but as soon as they sell merchandise that's anti-capitalism, we eat it the fuck up <laughs> to validate feminist AF T-shirts. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Just, I, I mean, the fact that you buy shit and okay, I've Fucking hate Marvel movies, dog. Well, fucking hate Marvel movies. It's championing mediocrity. I didn't, I, I've Black never, Panther. I couldn't even watch Black Panther the whole way through. I watched the first 15 minutes and I was bored and it made me feel like a bad person and I can't believe I just admitted that on air because it makes me sound like a racist and it isn't because it was black, it was just boring. It was 15 minutes yeah, in and I was like, I'm not into movie. this story. Am I supposed to love this story? And people are like, you love Black Panther. And I was like, I couldn't watch it, I'm sorry. The first Black Panther movie. Black Panther movie one is important because of representation. I get that. Black Panther movie 2 is just weaponizing that same lack of representation for money. I didn't I don't even know, know there was a, I didn't know they will. I didn't know there was There's a second gonna one. There's going to be a Mexican Panther and a fucking Asian Panther. You're just weaponizing people's own lack, the lack of representation that you created to make even more money off this shit. Fuck superhero movies, dog. I don't care. And people that say, oh, you don't like them, it's popular, it's making 
right, but just because it's popular does not mean that it's good at all. Marvel yeah. movies suck dick. Well, no, and they're all bad. Popularity. You know who wins? Popularity uh, is. I don't. I don't agree with it because it's championing mediocrity. When we say exactly. this is the the thing that okay, so I have this one rant I love to do. Uh, Sausage Party costs nineteen million dollars to make, and I feel like it's the worst animated movie that ever existed in the history like of it. animation. They open like they open with a song where they rhyme fuck with fuck. I just couldn't get on board. I was like, oh, rich That's people want to make more money. Look at this, and it was so the tropes oh, were so like oh the falafel and the blah, 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 what do we have in common hummus. Blah. The little taco and the anyway, the whole thing was like, ugh. But it was nineteen million dollars to make, and I always say, could have given a million dollars to nineteen different amazing filmmakers. Nineteen beautiful, amazing, hilarious, incredible, wonderful films could have been made instead of this piece of dog shit. And ah, right. uh, when I see well, here, here's the argument that I love to make, the rant that I love to make about the exact same thing. Mass communication is antithetical to art because art is about the relationship between the artist, the art, and the individual. The individual has to turn this object into art, you know? And so once you make it mass communication for as many people to turn it into art, you have to take away the subtlety, you know? Mm -hmm. There's literally no way to make art that is profound to every single person that looks at it. I'm going to disagree and say Star Wars. I'm going to say the first three Star Wars. That it was universally popular, but also had deeper subtlety that people could apply or not apply. It was entertaining to the masses, but also had potentially deeper meaning. It's okay, you can disagree with me. You don't have to love Star Wars like me. It's okay, you don't have to love Star Wars. It's fine. Although Rogue I, I One was the best. I, I, I guess the movies... So that doesn't count as art to me as much as it is entertainment. And I think that's what pop is, you know? And I, I think that art can be entertaining, but not all entertainment is art. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and, and so yes. I think that you couldn't necessarily, like, like you can make a, like, the most poetry, for example. There, I don't think there is a single poem that hits like there's no way to make a mass-produced, commercially popular poetry. Robert Frost. That is, any, but that is any. But here's, but here's what I'm going to say about that. That is anything but like appeals to identity, or you're supposed to like it, or is bland enough for everybody to bring down. You know what? I, I can't defend this point to, as much as I'd like to, so I'm going to just concede defeat. <laughs> I because you know what? You know what? I, I remember one time. I think I was on terms. I came up with this this idea. And, you know, I still think that I'm right, and I had a really good – I wrote, like, a three-page manifesto on it. And you know what? I just can't access the same information on it as I, as I had. So, you know what? You make two good points. Robert Frost, though, I don't, I don't agree. Because you can just make something that's, like, bland enough. You, you, can't, you can't make art that's, that's good, great, great art is antithetical to a large release, a mass communication of it, because it has to be specific and profound to the individual. E. E. Robert Cummings. Frost is good. Mm, no, they're e. both Cummings, a little bit bland. The Even Wee Star Balloon Wars Man, Far and Wee. Robert Frost, what is the most famous Robert Frost song? Stopping by stopping Woods on a Snowy Evening. Stopping in the Woods in the Snowy Evening and the Two Roads Diverge in Yellow Woods. Yes, right? yes. Both two of those are, in, are blank slates for emotion. I don't mm. think you could ever have, like, I don't think you could ever have a poem that is so, like, 
artistic and subtle and profound be as successful as those because it has to, because the best art is very, very individual between the viewer and the thing. And that's why I think that the best music is like indie rock, you know, because it's about your personal relationship with this person, with this thing that is uniquely yours in this unique way that you share it with nobody but yourself. Okay, let me... And let, I guess... Sorry, I, I, can, I can negate you on this with the popularity thing. Stephen King. Amazing fiction, incredibly popular. Totally personal. It's entertaining, but that's entertaining. Entertaining, but there are so many books, and I he writes literature. He has many short stories that are fucking literature, and he has a whole. I mean, he's written like eighty-eight novels now, and every. I mean, the 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 pantheon of Stephen King is so big, and it's so widely relatable and accessible, and entertaining, and it's art. It's straight up art. No, no, I'm totally wrong. I'm totally just disagreeing with myself now because I'm going to bring up a point against myself. Nietzsche. Nietzsche's specific and individual, and yet white men everywhere are like me, Ubermensch, for generations, you know? So I disagree with myself. I have, I have a favorite quote of his. Let me read it for you really quickly. God, this, is my, this is my favorite Nietzsche quote of late. Uh, it's, my dream, a bold sailor, half ship, half hurricane, Silent as a butterfly, patient as a falcon. How did it have time and patience today for the weighing of worlds? Nietzsche was a poet. He was a fucking poet. hard. He was a that poet. That goes so hard. That's he a was fucking a banger. For a 13-year-old me, when I read God is Dead, I was like, damn. When I read uses, I read uses and abuses of history in fifth grade. I had no idea what I was reading. But like, when he was all like, no use for history. I was like, fuck, bro. <laughs> the masses really do be cows. Oh, bro. The, Not me, though. I'm unique. The other Nietzsche concept that I love uh, is his concept of the heaviest burden. And he talks about if you, if, a, if a, an amazing angel slash devil came to you right now and said that you can live your entire life over forever and infinity, but every single decision and every single choice you've ever made happens in succession over and over for eternity would you gnash your teeth and weep in horror or would you say hell yeah i'm totally down with this and that's the heaviest burden is that is is the life that you're living is it something that you would is every choice and every decision and every moment would you be willing to relive that in perpetuity forever or do you have regret Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. concept of the heaviest burden threw me into i was like ah that's hard but it's hard it's optimistic um uh, nihilism like Mm. and and i guess nietzsche's an existentialist existentialist but a nihilistic they 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 converge they converge camu owes a lot to me yes camu is my man from the opening line of the stranger which i also read in fifth grade because i had a really big i'm smart phase that shit hit me so hard because bulls think that it's like nihil not it's not nihilistic. It's not about like nihilism is not sad. Like, right. It's not about everything sucks. It's about like nothing has meaning. Make your own meaning. And the fact when people tell me that like it's just sad, it just proves that like you have no idea. You just you just lack the ability to create your own meaning. You know. 
Well, sometimes it, that's that's the product of indoctrination. That's that's of the optimistic indoctrination. It's optimistic nihilism versus cosmic nihilism, where you say cosmic nihilism is like all of us are meaningless. It's all too big. Nothing has meaning. Destroy everything, as opposed to optimistic nihilism, which is nothing has meaning. Create your own meaning. You are your own measure yeah. for what meaning is. So right. have it or don't. I, don't judge other people's meaning because that's personal to them. You can interact with them and see right. maybe they can bring you meaning as well, but you're still the cre- which is why there is no that's God because we're God because we create our own reality. So and that's an optimistic thing. Tearing down like I understand tearing down other people's religion when it hurts other people, you know? But like it doesn't matter that this person believes this thing that is not true. It doesn't matter because they're going to die. It's nothing's going to change, you know. If they're happy until they die, then who the fuck cares? Yeah, then what's what's the problem? Yeah, what's the problem? Well, and this all goes back. This all goes back into the thing of like why we judge each other and care so much about how we smash our genitals together. Who cares? Right. Who? What? Someone's deriving meaning out of whatever. Great. Why do we say your meaning has value? Your meaning doesn't have value. Fuck your meaning. This is wrong. And then. But that someone must be getting something out of that vilification of whatever. Yeah. There must be something, a, a fear or a truth. It's in defense of your society. You don't want your society to dissolve. You don't want your way of life to dissolve. But in our society now, bro, someone's fucking dude is not going to dissolve the United States, okay? Even if, like, even if, even for me, I'm an atheist, right? Or I guess, spiritual agnostic, whatever the fuck. Even now, if the United States was all like, we love Trump forever, he's dictator, we're going to be Christian forever, it still wouldn't change how I live my life. Right. And the minute it does, then I would bounce, you know? Yeah. But as long as we maintain a society, I think our society, our government is, is, is disconnected from us as individuals enough for us to be able to practice whatever the fuck we want. So it doesn't even matter. Well, it's also a very privileged position to have. It's, a, it's being an American. Out, I, I it's it an entitled. It's, it it's an entitled perspective. Where would you bounce to, if if uh, everybody suddenly was like Trump's forever dictator, we love him. I would bounce too. But where would you go? France. Oh, France. Well, I mean, I'm moving to England in August. You know, so I mean, that's probably maybe there, but probably France because I love French culture and. I don't know. I think that cheese. You, know, you, you only love have cheese. one life, right? Yes, you have to go to the mecca of cheese. Yes, yes. I love cheese. I love, um, I think that I want to live as, I mean, I always want to live as many lives as I possibly can, which is why that I'm going to try to live as much as I can until I'm like, you know, 45, right? And then once I'm like 40, whatever, I'm going to move to a foreign country, learn a new language, and just completely start over nice. and be like a cheesemaker or some shit. So I can live two lives instead of just one, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Benjamin Button the fuck out of that. I want to experience it. I, lo- I love it. You know? Are there children playing behind you? I hear some strange. Yeah, I'm next to a, I'm next to the Rio Grande. People are coming out with their rats. Oh, that's so cool. They're not social distancing. They are social distancing, but they. Yeah, they're family. They're so family. It's like, they're fine. Uh, no they're all. New Mexico's opening up or something. Their uh, their jam hands are all in each other's mouths. Anyways, it's fine. Yeah, and they're all in the water too. So it's like yeah. these liquids are getting exchanged. You're gonna, we're all gonna survive. So you'd go to France. I'd, uh, I'd move to the Netherlands. I'd, I'd go to Amsterdam Ooh. as quickly as possible. Yeah, 
Oh my Fuck gosh. Yeah, I love it. You've been there. Oh yeah. Then. Multiple times. I, I love, love Amsterdam, Amsterdam so much. Like I have, I have friends there. I have, I love, I love anywhere where weed happens is great. And, uh, there's, but the coolest thing about Amsterdam is you're just walking around, whatever. And it's like, Oh, that house was built in 1632. <laughs> like, oh my just, God. Right. right? You're just like, about oh. Europe. Yeah. Dude, I, in, in, in England, like I was next to Hadrian's wall and I was in Chester, England. Hadrian's wall is right there. There's a, there's a fucking building built in the 1500s and on the bottom floor is the Sephora. <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. Do you have a joke about that? That's a funny no, joke. That's just an funny. But you know what? And the best thing about it is that's exactly how it fucking should be. You know? Because every throughout the ages, even in the 1700s, they were probably like, some fucking asshole was like, oh, this building's in the 1500s. Look, there's a fucking cobbler. Well, and uh, makeup in the 1700s had lead in it. The the best thing about makeup in the 1700s in France is it was lead-based. So women would get lead poisoning and die even more. Just, huh. I think that's really funny. Do you you know where the, um, uh, the... Think saved by the bell. Oh, I lost him. He's gone. I lost Aaron Atkins. Well, I'll tell you this one little thing and, and see if he calls back. Um, when it, it's a thing called saved by the bell, and oh, there he is. We lost Hi, you, but you sorry. came back. Hi. There was a guy following me, and I took out my earbuds and was like, "Can I help you?" And oh. I hung up. Oh, there. Yeah. Hey, it happens. So. Uh, this is a, a thing. Uh, do you know where Saved by the Bell comes from? The euphemism, the cliche? Oh. So it comes from the 1700s in England with night watchmen at cemeteries. Because when you'd go to the pub, the glasses were made of lead. And so they'd be drinking beer at the pub out of lead glasses. And oftentimes the patrons would die. But they wouldn't be dead. They'd just have lead poisoning, Right. And so they'd bury them, and they had a bell. They had a string that went down into the coffin. Oh. Just in case someone woke up, they'd ring the bell, and that's why there were night watchmen in a cemetery, because they were saved by the bell. Because people were – they found out that people had died, and they'd been trying to get out of the coffin and, and like, scraping their way. There's no way to get out. You're buried underground. You die. You run out of oxygen at some point. But people would – wake up out of their potentially lead-poisoning stupor and be saved by the bell. That's horrifying. You know, it's, 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 it's horrifying how long it took us to figure out that lead was bad for you. Yeah, that lead horrifying. is bad for you. Yeah, yeah. Even until the 70s, they were putting them in toys that were made in China. And like, pain. let the babies, let the babies Kids play with would die. Oh, no, no. China thing, that happened in the 2000s. Mm. My mom, I remember my mom being serious about that. Yeah, that's in that. Well, that's that's kind of kind of China for you. you know? I, <laughs> I, I I remember being kind of like, I don't know. I, I also, you know, in China they have this thing called um, um, gutter oil, which is cooking oil that they use for cooking on the street. But it's about a tenth um, sewage, raw sewage and Oof. fat that they cook down, and uses cooking oil. Wow. So it's like yeah. petrol. It's like actually dinosaur. Uh, oil. No, it's poop. It's, it's poop. raw sewage. The thing is, you know, actually, I was talking about this to one of my Indian friends, and I was like, you know, I think maybe in my, you know, honestly, I think I was being kind of culturally insensitive. I was saying, you know, India is a 
is a dirty country. My friends that have gone there have said, you know, wow, it's very dirty, sitting in the street. Um, there's not a culture of there's not a culture of hygiene necessarily. And I was like, you know, why is that? He said, well, because not necessarily that we're unhygienic. It's just that we're more comfortable with germs than you are in the West. And I was like, oh. Because they're eating more turmeric. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah. Also, shit is way more flavorful. You can't, you can't, you can't even tell if it has salmon. Well, and did you know that um, in India, until like even up until the 70s, they used cow patties as their main source of fuel for cooking food in the kitchen? So, and even... It's not bad. It's not bad for it, you. No, so I mean, it's... I think, it, but just grass. using it as a fuel, cow patties, it's got a lot of grass in it, and it, it, it burns slow, and you can cook food on it. So that was one of the things. Also, they would use uh, cow dung to, this is crazy, wash their floors. So, but it's, mm, it's not that... They didn't have actual floors. It was that it's a dirt floor, and the way to clean a dirt floor is to, like spread cow poop all over it and then sweep it off. It's from this cookbook I have from the 60s. This that cookbook. makes no sense. It makes at all. no sense. I understand sense. peeing. I understand like using urine um, as like a cleanser. Like it's gross to us, but it, I mean it is ammonia. It's, it's like, sterile. It, it does, yeah. Well, and sterile. they used um and and that's we've learned a lot of uh, organic farming techniques from India Indians and especially with weed because they've been growing that for 4000 years and they use hmm. cow piss as a natural deterrent for pests like spider mites and things that eat weed so it's like a 4000 year old cultivation technology you know by the Indians to deal with yeah. weed and they don't like separate the ladies they've got all of their weed is together boys and girls it's all the same and they let the yeah. seeds happen and all that but they use cow piss like as a natural pesticide. You know, when I was in when I was in treatment, when I was in the desert, our counselor played a prank on us, and he was like, "You guys know that psychedelic mushrooms grow in cow shit, right?" And we were like, "What?" And so we like we're all digging through cow shit for three months, eating mushrooms, and uh, it doesn't psychedelic mushrooms don't grow in shit. We were just eating shit. Aww, yeah. that is the worst yeah. prank ever. That's the so worst we April Fools. We, him like shit. we threw shit at him. One kid threw human shit at him. Yes. And he I, couldn't change. You couldn't leave for like two more weeks. You had to just. I have to send you. Shit. I have to send you my script. Um, camp. It's about five campers that go on a desert hike, uh, desert awakenings, and they don't really die. But um, and see, you could add probably some really great stuff if you actually went through it. I just wrote the story yeah. because a buddy of mine told me that his friend's younger sister died in one of these camps, like hiking Dude, in the that desert. Happened. Yeah, I know. And so that's why I wrote this story, and it's everybody dies, and this guy is like super homophobic, and it, it's just a crazy story. But uh, Have you and, read John, – John Krakauer wrote an amazing uh, article about uh, wilderness therapy programs called Loving Them to Death. Yeah, uh, and yeah, because the people that started them were horribly corrupt, and the whole point – was that they used like the survival as a method to not have to pay for any overhead or resources yeah. for these kids, and many of them died. Yeah, like yeah. something like twelve or thirteen. And I was putting that shit, and I didn't find out about that. My parents didn't even find out about it until after I'd gone out of treatment. Yeah. Ridiculous. And it, they just they t and they take thousands of dollars from the parents, and they have no food resources, and there's not enough clean water, yeah, and they say general. bury your shit and do this. And yeah, so incredibly low overhead. It's a, you can't you can't trust your son, right? So listen to us, and we'll tell you that he's fucked up, and he needs to stay here for six more months for 
X amount of thousand dollars per right. month. Listen to us. We're the ones you can trust, not your druggy son. Right. And Don't listen to him when he says we're not feeding him. We're feeding him. He's just lying. And and also that once once parents have dealt with, you know, I mean, it's got to be hard. I, I'm trying to be empathetic on the other side. If you yeah, have no, a, if you're a parent, a parent and right? you love your child and you've tried everything and you've watched intervention and you're like, I'm not a treatment center. I don't know what to do. I need to trust the professionals. And so you trust professionals, but they're not really professional. Ugh. Yeah. And then, and but then, they're making so much money. Well, isn't the, that the rehab centers? At the last treatment center had three test books. Who needs three test books? Yeah. I mean, treatment centers, but, it, but then that's, that goes to like, who deserves treatment and how expensive is it? And is it, who do we care? Like that, I have a buddy who's, I hope that he's still alive. Zach Wiseman, if you're out there, please give us a call, 415-500-0511. And he, was, he got hooked on heroin, and he's an amazing human being, but the resources aren't there to help him. And when I talked to his mom, and she's like, call the police. I was like, I'm not going to call the police on him. Like, what? They're not going to put him into a treatment facility. They're going to put him in jail, and that's not going to help anybody. So yeah, like, where sometimes, are the it resources? Works. sometimes it works. Sometimes it's got tough love, but oh my God, you cannot count on that as tough love. Some people, they realize they're like, oh, I have a criminal record. I can't get a job now. Cool. Yeah. I'll just do heroin full time. Right. Uh, and, but that's the other thing of like, when, when your situation is unmanageable and the only thing that makes it manageable is this, you know, substance i get it i get it why it'd be like i need this thing because my life is unmanageable without this and you can't see how to make your life manageable without the help like there's no if there's no support I'd be like, everyone hates you yeah your parents hate you your friends hate you you hate you yeah what the fuck yeah yeah i'm I'm, trying i'm trying on a small thing sometimes i do stupid things and then I tell myself I go like god I hate you and I'm like no 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 stop that diatribe stop saying that there's nothing helpful about me saying right. I hate myself there's nothing and it's taken me many 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 years to be able to be like there is nothing profitable in those thoughts so how do we switch them and right well I mean when I decided I hated myself enough I stopped oh I mean, I, well, that's just me, though. I mean, that was recently, that was in Chicago, right before I left. I was like, I got to fucking hate. Yeah, you hate the person you become, and if you didn't hate the person you become, you wouldn't. You wouldn't make the change. change. You would, Yeah, there would be no impetus for growth. It's growth. Yeah. You're so young to have experienced so much growth. Have the pigs made uh, it to it's the pasture? Weird. If you go to Utah, you'll meet a lot of young heroin addicts. Really? A lot of them. Because. Especially in Ogden. Because their their lives are unmanageable because they're so Mormon and they, they can't express their feelings and yes, so they push everything down. People already think you're unsavable because you wear like shorts that are above your knees. You know? Right. What I mean, this thing is gonna make me only a little bit worse in the eyes of these people. I'm already unsalvageable in the eyes of these people. So let me do this unsalvageable thing that makes me feel okay about being unsalvageable. Oh. I mean, everybody looks at you with the eyes that your disdainful parents have. Every window is a security camera for the church. And it's the fucking, it's Utah. What else is there to do, you know? Right, then judge other people for their choices. (laughs) Yeah, and fucking get fucked up. And, I mean, hey, there's, Aaron feels pretty goddamn good now. I'm not going to lie. You know, it's a a 
fun way to spend a, an afternoon. It's a terrible way to spend your life. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not too into opiates. I'm just really lucky that I took the five weeks of sobriety before COVID so that I wouldn't mm. be drinking as much as – like uh, it's – if I wouldn't have taken – the five weeks of sobriety before COVID, I, I don't know what it would have happened to me. I would be waking up. I wouldn't be as productive as I'm being right now. I'd definitely just be drinking a lot more all the time. So I'm, I'm really right. glad that I got the opportunity to sort of put myself on pause before the world was put on pause because That's good. without those five weeks, I would have been like – because I, I love drinking because – it negates all of my choices. Like I get to be myself and I am who I am in the moment and I enjoy that. And sometimes I black out and I don't remember. But when I when I black out and don't remember, I'm absolved of those memories because I don't remember them. So it, it, it's sort of mm. – and because it gives me the excuse to say, eh, I was drunk. And so – but that I've been using for mm. years and I realized that that was a fear of just owning my own decisions. So it's right. easier to – have an excuse. So if you drink enough, you have an excuse for any decision you make because you just say, oh, I was so wasted. I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. I don't remember. And then when you don't remember it yourself, it absolves so much regret or guilt or any concept at all because you don't remember. I don't remember. So that's something that I started working on. It's like, why do I feel the need to not own my choices? Why why would I? sound weird. I, I really, when I was on heroin, at least I, I, I was, my problems are tangible. At least my problems are tangible. Because hair, I mean, it takes, it takes like, I just feel like shit. I don't know why I feel like shit. I just feel like shit. I just hate myself all the time. And at the same time, like, I don't hate myself. Like, I love myself and I'm too egotistical and self-centered, but I also hate myself. It's these weird, nuanced, all these threads that I have to unravel. Well, hey, at least now my only problem is that I do heroin. And that's it. <laughs> now I can just now if I just don't do it, I'm fine, you know? So at least they're tangible. Yeah. I it's it's hard also in these crazy times. It's there's so much overt anxiety that to even identify it or let it into my life in any way seems so scary. So I'd rather sort of play around in this hallucinogenic, questionable real world. Like, what is reality? What's going on? Because if I acknowledge this anxiety, it might be too overwhelming for me to deal with. So I'd rather smooth it over with a lot of marijuana. I didn't even realize I was anxious until it got pointed out to me in treatment, like two weeks into it. Like, I never thought of myself as an anxious person. I just thought, like, I don't know. I I, I never, like, that that was the weirdest thing. It was like, I, I, I was paranoid for a little bit i was like Shit, am i really anxious or did i just like do i just think so now because someone said i'm am i anxious you know? or do i just play because anxious I all on of TV? a sudden just realized it like i just realized it. like yeah i spent like a whole lifetime worrying about everything i just at this point i spent so much of my life worrying about everything that i like to live in a fantasy dream world where i just don't acknowledge it at all because the ignorance truly is bliss and if i was to lift the cover, pull back the veil on that anxiety, I feel like it would be so overwhelming that I just can't even acknowledge it. What do you mean lift the cover on it? Like find out what? Well, just right now we're in these hugely anxious times. Everyone's wearing masks. Things are weird. People on the bus. I'm walking down the street. Guys have their shirt off. People are just selling weed openly. There's there's tents everywhere. 
who can you trust? Who can't you? The, where is safety? All of that is for me under sort of, I've thrown a blanket over it. I'm like, Bleh. and if I right. lift up the blanket, like I can't Dutch oven myself with this much anxiety because it's overwhelming of what is really happening with the world. And even starting to wrap my brain about that, it it's not going to be productive for anybody. It's just going to, oh, yeah. it's going to wind me into a, a, an unmanageable state of anxiety because there's no right. way I can control anything that's happening. I don't know when they're going to open things up. When do we get, like, when do we get to eat in restaurants again? Like, that's the dumbest question. But when do we get to walk around without masks? When do we get to right. freely make decisions for ourselves without this enormous fear of dying? And I'm not afraid of dying. I, I, I've been facing my existential void for years. I'm not as scared of dying. But that yeah, everyone's no. so scared of dying right now. Why? You're not even going to know it. You're just going to be dead. Exactly. It's over. You're not even going to realize it. You're not going to have anything to regret. It's just over. Just Yeah, exactly. And so... I, I think the reason... I mean, smart people kill themselves at a much higher rate than anybody else. And there's a, I mean, why I think that is, is because... And also, I mean, a lot of heroin addicts I met were very intelligent. A lot of them were fucking morons, but a lot of them were very intelligent. And the reason why is because I think they refuse to lie to themselves. They refuse to, like, lead themselves on in a direction that would, in the end, be helpful. Sometimes you have to lie to yourself. Sometimes the truth is not something that you can handle. Yeah. Even you, even no matter how intelligent you think you are, even you can't handle the truth. You, know? <laughs> you can't handle the truth! The truth The truth that maybe you're not special. The truth that maybe <gasps> you're not really gifted. The truth that maybe you won't be successful. The truth that maybe the thing you've dedicated your life to is not what you're meant to be doing. You are speaking every internal anxiety that I feel all of the time. All of that is that, am, is my existence worthwhile? Like, is my It is worthwhile, output... but not because you're gifted. Because you're a human being like everybody else. That's what I had to learn. I know, it's I a mean, very Buddhist idea that it's, it's, the, it's the value we all have as a being that is alive on this particular vibration or plane. And we're all here. Right. And it's and it's exasperated by our capitalist society that promotes celebrities and, and, and the magic of someone being gifted at something and that they're worth following, they're worth caring about because they have this uncanny ability to do something. But I mean, just because you don't have the uncanny ability to sing doesn't mean that your life is not worth living. And that's what I had to get over. I wanted to be a musician, but I I'm not a great singer. I can say words, you know. I, I, I want, but I'm not James Blake. James Blake has a fucking holy shit, you know. Like, like I used to think that my life would only be worth living if I had a voice like James Blake. And that's just fucking not true. If you're not gifted, if your IQ is 80, your your life is still worth living and just as valuable as James Blake. Just because the news tells you otherwise does not mean it's true. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be good enough. You won't. No one has ever been good enough. No one in the history of all time has literally ever been good enough. Muhammad conquered the entire Arab world, and he's only one of three major religions. You will never be good enough. Jesus was not good enough to get the world to believe him. No, you're ne you will never be good enough, so get over it and stop trying. Wow, there's some ex more existential speech from Aaron Atkins. Sorry, I was just, I just finished writing my show today, and I had to do a whole bunch of soul searching about 
bullshit, and so I'm in the whole articulate Charles Bukowski mood. No, I hey, I completely understand, especially when your Edinburgh show is. Is it going to be zoomed? Are they going to do that no, instead? No, it's not going on in 2020. I mean, I don't know. People are saying the live performances are going to come back for like a year and a half, two years, which so I think is kind of. I hope not. I mean, I think the fringe is going to be going on in 2021. They didn't cancel it until like April. So yeah. Well, I mean, nobody knows. I mean, what is even happening? I just, I can't, I can't even wrap my brain around. And but it's not for me. This hasn't been difficult. I, it, to be honest, Mutiny Radio is actually in a better position now than it ever you has been. You were freaking out for a second, though. I was, but then <laughs> that's right. So at the beginning of at the beginning of April, I lost my shit, and then enough people came together that we're good until September, and I'm like, what? So that's great, you know, and you know, I'm just gonna play it day by day and work things out, and we'll see. I don't know. Maybe we'll all be dead next week. Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully, Jesus know. Christ. You know, Pam. You know. You know what? I knew we were going to be friends. I knew. I knew that we were going to have some kind of relationship because the first time I went up to Mutiny Radio and I bombed my dick off, I remember it being extra painful because I was like, I know I'm supposed to be involved with this somehow. <laughs> I was like, I know. Like, I just fucked up this relationship that I am supposed to have. Not even necessarily with you per se, but just like I was like, this is a this this station, this place is something that I was kind of meant to be at least involved with in some capacity. And the fact that I went up there and just on my dick off in front of my I need dad, to find do you remember the date? Because I have I all of the podcasts. I wanna find the old podcast and listen to it. I'm sure I it wasn't as bad as you thought. To it. Yeah, it's it's recorded somewhere. Oh, it's in it's there. Recorded. It's it's in I'm sure it's in Fantastic somewhere. You just have to remember the date and I'll play it again. I'll listen to it. I don't remember. So many people come through this room, though, that I just don't, not anymore, but they used to. I just, it's so hard to keep people. But every, uh. Motherfuckers are so mean to you, Pam. Motherfuckers are such fucking why. I can't imagine being so bitter as some of the people I see on your Facebook that (laughs) think they're so famous. Talking about, I'm going to text people three. I'm going to text bookers, tell them not to book you. Who are you? Some fucking comic from Berkeley. I've never heard of you. I don't know who the fuck you are. Yeah. What the fuck? It's Comedians all... think they're so fucking important. Well, Jesus it, Christ. It they all goes... a good thing when they got it. It all goes back to the whole idea of who's, are you big? Are you not big? Who cares? Like, I, I, you know, I'm a 45-year-old lady. I've been trying. I love stage time. I've been trying to perform since I was three. And... I learned early on that I just might have to create my own stage time. There's no fairy agent that's going to swoop down and scoop anyone out of obscurity and say, you are amazing. So I just started making stage time for myself. And, but that's what makes me happy. And if people recognize it globally ever, or if even when like the girl you said, she's listening, fuck yeah, that's, that's enough for me. There's an audience. I mean, I'm. There's an audience. I'm stage time. I'm all about stage time. And so to say that, Fridays at seven o'clock, we've been doing a show here. It's called Outdoor Comedy. People gather on the street, six feet distance, and we've been doing comedy only with the COVID crew who's been here since the festival, so that we're not like infecting new people. But it's basically Nathan, Sam, Rachel, Warhol, Hunter. I'm coming. Yeah. I'm hey, coming whenever you get back to San Francisco, like you have a place to stay. You're oh, you're. If they let you on a plane, you are a hundred percent welcome as long as you're not allergic oh, I'm to cats. I'm driving a U-Haul from New Mexico. Perfect. You're welcome. I'm going. 
I'm I'm going through Phoenix. I'm gonna see my boy toy. And I'm no. going to LA. I'm gonna spend a couple days on the beach, and then I'm gonna go north. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm I'm gonna do some comedy, and I'm gonna just kick it for a week. And then you know what? I you know what I got? You know how privileged I am? I got a fifteen hundred dollar flight voucher from American Airlines that expires in like two weeks. What? So I don't know, right? Come yeah, visit. I, I oh, dude. Dude, just come to San Francisco. Come to San Francisco. You have a place to stay. I'm going to drive to San Francisco. I'm probably going to go to, like, I don't know, maybe, like, Korea or some shit. Because I, I literally, I have to spend it or else it's going to be going away. Oh, go it's to... $1,500. I can't not spend it, you know? So, exactly. Well, go know. to go to Greece, then. Oh, my God. Go do free yeah, camping in Greece. Because you can... I, I don't spend money on vacation. I just go to... I just get a hostel and I walk around. Yeah, so. but on, on the island of Telos... It's free camping. A lot. You can look up Greek islands, and they have free camping. All you need is a tent. And you can even have your tent Amazon. You can have your tent Amazon to the bar so that when you get to the bar, you can say, hey, something was sent to me. And then your tent is there, and you put it up on the beach. And they have uh, showers and toilets, and it's all free. You don't have to, It's not like the United States. You don't have to pay. And they've got – oh, my God, go to Greece. If they let you in – Are you going to go to Greece or Korea? I, or I would say – you got Or go, Australia. Well, Australia would be great, too. I got homies out there too, so I would stay there for free. Yeah. Japan would be like weird. But Japan's so expensive. Though. Bucks. I might never get this opportunity again. Go to know? go to so. Australia. Go to Australia. Yeah, do it really? next week. Yeah. Oh my god. But it's not exotic enough. I want some place because like I'm never gonna get this opportunity again. You know. If it, if then, it go Poland, go then go I've to Amsterdam. Then go to Amsterdam. Oh, okay, been there. You have fifteen hundred dollars to go anywhere. I always said, like, when people say, oh, are you going to go to Burning Man again? And I'd say, no, if I have $1,500, I'm going to Australia. <laughs> like, what would you, why would you go to the desert again? I, I would, but it's still, like, a Western culture and it's still mm-hmm. English-speaking. So as cool as it would be, like, still first time I went to the place, but, like, it's an experience that I could never get otherwise. You know? Yeah. Like, India was my first choice, but that's a, it's not going to get opened up Sure. Korea's opened up. Japan might open up in time, but Korea is. Like- Go Korea. One of my buddies do, uh, did teaching. She was an English teacher in Korea for three years, and she loved oh. it. Loved it. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd love to. I mean, I, yeah, Korean culture is dope. But I mean, also, I'm. I mean, I'm Chinese, so I'd like to go to China. But now is probably the worst possible time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm so excited that you have. If everything falls apart, though, you could get a first-class ticket round trip from New Mexico to San Francisco and stay oh, in my trip. house. I'm never coming back here. But, oh, I see. So when you leave, you're leaving. I was like, you've got the yeah, money. Yeah. Go- oh. But. I'm going home, and then I'm, I mean, I'm going to San Francisco regardless. I'm driving okay, back there. I'm going to drop off this desk that I've been carrying with me since Chicago. Um, yeah, I mean, I would want to stay with my parents. But it's like I, they, I just know my mom would like get pissed at me for having like Advil. So I, I, maybe it's better not to. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd like to stay. As I, long I'll stay as for like a week or two. If you're not allergic to cats, you're 100% welcome uh, at my house. And you have to make sure that you're here over a Friday so that you can do the outdoor COVID comedy. Absolutely. Where that's, we, a, that's a sure thing. Yeah. That's a sure there, cause the, Having them comedy and. The real audiences. Last week was so good. I was so proud of the podcast. Everyone had really good sets. I had a really good set. I had, I, and I, so I. Sam texted me telling me to go listen to the set. That's how good it was. He uh, said me and Nathan came up with like seven minutes of material. Damn. He did. He had a good set. Uh, everyone did. And every week. And that's the thing is, in the beginning, they were like, why aren't you giving other people opportunities? I'm like, because I don't want more people to come here because I don't want to be accused of gathering. And I was like, don't you want the stage time? Like, you have the 
opportunity to be the only ones that are allowed to be here. Why not take advantage of it? Why be all like giving at this point? Fucking take it. <laughs> take, take it. it. Yeah, take people it. just want to complain now. That's how you know you're like in a good position though. People complain to you, they think that you Oh, well, we all have power to change shit. Because of existentialism, nothing has meaning. We create our own meaning yet. Nothing has meaning. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for making this an Are amazing podcast. Are we not going to listen to the demo? By yeah, we're going to listen to it right now. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to we're going to we're going to close out with that. Do you have any do you have oh, any yeah. words to say before we turn this song on about Um, my name is Aaron Atkins. Follow me on social media at Comedy Bad Boy. Um www.aaronatkins.net. Um shit. Well, I mean, that's yeah, that's it, y'all. Sweet. Keep, keep in touch with me. Edinburgh show coming this month. Wait, you think it's a dope? I think Truth or Consequence is a dope ass name for a show. I think that's what I'm gonna call it. Yeah, because you were living in Truth or Consequences. <gasps> when I finished, right? So that's a, and it's also fits with the the whole treatment thing. I had so many. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, Pam. Yeah. This is the last thing I want to do before I leave. I got a list of dope ass like ambiguous show names that I want to run by you because you got a poetic mind. So I'd love <laughs> to hear your. Uh, I'd love to hear your opinion on show names. Dope ass show names. <laughs> is, uh, is weed legal in Scotland? <laughs> <Are> you... <laughs> it is not. Uh... <laughs> I was up, uh, but you can drink hella young. So I was like, kind of what I was doing. Yeah, alcohol uh, is the it's it's the devil. It's the it's the wor- it's the most accessible and it's like the most damaging drug. I would say that honestly, if you could do uh, recreational heroin, it is safer than drinking being like drinking excessively. But that is don't quote me I, on would that. Would I do it? No, <laughs> I actually not. Okay, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's some names. I'm just gonna say them all in order. I want you to go, mm, like, loudness of mm, as to how good you think it is. If mm-hmm. it's not good, because I'm just going to say them all. I'm just going to say them one after another, all right? Mm-hmm. So you just got to give me a reaction, all right? There's a couple of them, all right? <clears throat> I bet you won't do that again. There's always something. And I didn't learn anything. How to know everything without learning anything. <laughs> That's cute. The other shoe. Somewhere else at all times. Trust the pudding, parentheses, that's where the truth is. <laughs> Trust the pudding. One of, you like that one? I like that a lot. Because okay. the proof is in okay. the pudding. <laughs> one of my kind are in feathers. All flowers in time bend towards the sun. Young sober junkies. As before. Bag of air. Bubble underwater. Independence Day. Do that which is yet to come. Now, some of these are just emo, you know? Yeah, that's pretty emo. Ashley says she wants you to be your mom. Wait, she wants she you wants to be you your to mom? Be her mom. That's great. Yeah. She says you're great. Which one do you like the most? Trust the pudding? Yeah, that's where the proof is. Yeah, absolutely. That, that or truth or consequences? Well, I think that truth or consequences is more personal, and it's, and it's the name of a... City where you were, and especially if you mentioned something like that in it, that's interesting. I, I don't know mm. what pudding jokes you have, or if that's I just a 
No pudding jokes. It's just, a, it's just an emo title. It's just an ambiguous emo title. Yeah, I mean, I like it only because I like to cook, and I, I like that. I like that you turned a cliche on its head, so it's like a joke in itself. And and when you're going to in, uh, Europe, pudding is any dessert. So you can't have your pudding until you eat your meat. So can't, I mean, who doesn't want to eat their meat? Great. Right, so that's the vegan in me talking. But it's. I think that that title works really well for Europe, just because of what pudding means to them. Okay. Trust the pudding, that's where the truth is. Yes. Yeah, I got I got a lot of, amb- I just love ambiguous names. My favorite part of songwriting is naming the song something ambiguous as shit. Because it doesn't even have to mean anything. Because, like, you've seen old interviews of Bob Dylan where they just, like, ask him a random question, like, hey, so you like making music, huh? And he's like, I don't know, man, what is music? What are we? Who are we? What are you? Who are you, man? You don't know anything, man. I just, I just write songs, man. It's not for you. You know, just being an asshole. You don't have to answer any questions. I want to do that. Hell yeah. You know, um, we'll, we'll leave it this. Uh, Bob Dylan doesn't let anybody look him in the eye anymore because he is better than everyone else. <laughs> you're he not, is better than everybody else. You're not allowed to look him he, in the he eye. Is, dude. He has to choose if he's going to make eye contact with you because he's such a special human being. Lauren Hill's like that too, but she doesn't deserve it. <laughs> Bob Dylan deserves that. Lauren Hill made one record. She made Ready or Not, and she made Miseducation. That's it. Ready or Not, That's here I go. Here I go. You can. You can. I want to I want to find you. Well, thank you. Every every ghetto, every city is also wow. Uh, it's the sentimentality for that. There's a sentimentality in a life that I never had, and that takes some artistry. Well, but sentimentality isn't necessarily a good thing because that's asking for emotion that you don't reach with the words. You know? Right, but she's making me feel sentimental for a childhood that I didn't. Well, then that would be nostalgia. Then you're feeling nostalgia because sentimentality isn't good. Sentimentality is like it's when it's it's when it's cloyingly sweet when when you're asking for an emotion that the words or the song doesn't give, right? Like you're it's sentimental. It's like oh, but it's not nostalgic or touching. It it's reaching for an emotion that it doesn't reach, and that's when it becomes sentimentality. That doesn't sound like something that's sentimental to me. Like, I see what you're saying for sure. But that sounds like something different because sentimentality to me is like souvenirs that I bought. Right, but that's that's nostalgia. That's Nostalgia is when you attribute something and remember a time and it has meaning for you and it's a solid meaning. Whereas, you know, sentimentality is like you tried. It's like roses are red, violets are blue. I love you. It's sentimental because it's, it's asking for love, but it doesn't yeah, it's deliver. It's different than how we say sentimental in everyday life. Though. Right. That's what's confusing. It's sentimental, because a souvenir, thing that's nostalgic is sentimental. Oh, so it's sentimental is not nostalgic. Or yeah. it's nostalgic to you, but not to other people. Because the emotion, the words don't reach the other people the same way that you would. Right. Okay. Beautiful. So, uh, so this that. last song we're going to close on, um, thanks so much to Aaron Atkins, is uh, Nelly is Dilemma Nelly. featuring Kelly Rowland. Fucking banger, bro. Oh, my God. Nelly goes so hard on this. Well, you're the best. Thank you so much for making this a really fun afternoon for me. And uh, I'm really excited that we had listeners and that we got to talk about all kinds of weird shit. Listening.
sorry to my parents. I didn't mean the thing I said about drugs. <laughs> Let's get out some Nelly. Let's get this Kelly Rowland shit going, bro. Is there how much of a chapter lay is there? Or can I sing along? Can I rap along? You could, yeah, you could. It's starting right now. Here you go. Mm. Yeah. Welcome to Nellyville. We're all newborn. Get a half a meal. Son, get the Danville. Soon what? as they can reach the wind. And all this time is the size of the alien. One year get one turn, uh. two years get two turns. This is where the one I know starts. Destiny's Child, right? Really? No, Kelly Rowland was a Destiny's Child, right? She's the other one. Honestly, She's like Beyonce and Solange and her, right? Honestly, Pam, I do not know. I think I it is. I think she's the third. I think she's the third Destiny's Child. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm not as big of a, of a Kelly Rowland fan as I am as a 
Nelly, who else can rock a bandana on his face? Well, and he's, he's yeah, the piece of tape. He's like, he's like Lisa Left Eye Lopez. He's working it out. Oh. Dude. Hey, Pam, it was amazing. This is amazing. You're amazing. amazing. Thank you so much. Yay. Bye, Aaron. I love you. you. Bye. Love you too, Pam. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it's Tuesday at 6 o'clock. Um, uh, you know, little mic problems there. You know, what can you do? I plugged it into the wrong place. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah, it's Bughouse Square. Um, everything's changed, man. Everything's changed. But it's going to be a good two hours, so uh, welcome. Rainy night down in the engine house. Sleeping just as still as a mouse Man come along and he chased us out in the rain Was that a vigilante man? Stormy days we'd pass the time away Sleeping in some good warm place Man come along and we give him a little race Was that a vigilante man? Preacher Casey was just a working man And he said, unite all you working men Kill him in the river Some strange man was that a vigilante man Does a vigilante man? Why does a vigilante man carry that sawed off shotgun in his hand? Would he shoot his brother and sister down? I rambled around from town to town. I rambled around from town to town. And they herded heard us around like a wild herd of cattle. Was that the vigilante men? Have you seen that vigilante man? 
Have you seen that vigilante man? I've heard his name all over the land.
Bye-bye, my love. Goodbye. Goodbye, my love. Goodbye. Goodbye, my love. 